as Ed mentioned at the beginning of Mass, Jesus' transfiguration represents our, our own eventual transfiguration or our transfigurement. The thing is, is we want that transfiguration to happen now. We want it now. We want heaven now. We want freedom from all that ills us now. That now ain't going to happen. Now is the time to work on those things, but now is not the time of liberation from the things that prevent us from being transfigured. Peter, James, and John, having experienced this with Christ seeing Jesus, Moses and Elijah all transfigured before them, and then the, the vision ends. Peter says, let's build three tents right here on this mountain. Let's just stay here. Let's capture heaven and stay on this mountaintop in this sort of heavenly place. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, Peter, this isn't heaven. Not even close. Not even close. There's a lot of life left to live. For Peter, James, and John, they are going to eventually be transfigured. They truly are. They're going to become living saints. And then one day, of course, they'll die and they'll stand before God and they'll go off to heaven where they'll be transfigured in glory for eternity. But Peter, James, and John still have many years to go. They have decades of life left to go. Decades of life left to go. And they're going to grow tremendously. And one day, they, like Jesus, are going to go to their death. Peter and James will be martyred and John will die a white martyr, although he'll die a natural death. The only one of the twelve apostles who does, he experiences martyrdom in his spirit throughout his life. So they're being transfigured, but it's over the arc of their lives. In our first reading today, Abram is given a promise. And that promise is that he will have eternal life or immortality. In the Old Testament, the Jews don't have heaven. There's the boat of the dead and there's Hades and hell, but there's no heaven. So this is the divide between the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees say there is no heaven because the scriptures don't mention it. And the Pharisees say, yes, there is because we can deduct to it. So here Abram is given immortality. And for the Jews, since there's no heaven, it's all about your children and your children's children and their children. And you have progeny or everlasting life through your children, through your descendants. And so not having kids was considered a great curse. But here, Abram is told, Abram, if you will leave your safety and comfort of your homeland, travel through hundreds of miles in the desert, arrive at this other unknown place that I'm going to call the promised land, and you remain faithful to me, I'll see to it that you have immortality through your offspring. You'll have children and children and children's children. You will raise up the greatest nation of all time. Abram takes God up on the promise, if I will remain faithful, if I remain faithful to the one God. And he is, but decades go by. Abram's like, my wife can't have kids. What's going on? And then finally, when he's 80 years old, his first son is born. And then when that son is seven, nine years old, God says, I want you to kill him now. They're like, what are you talking about? I mean, I can't kill my own son. I love him. I can't do that. And furthermore, if I did that, I would lose out on immortality. I'd lose out on the promise that you gave me. And so he's greatly tested. And so are we. What we want to do, and this is what Peter, James, and John want to do. It's what Abraham wanted to do. It's what we all want to do. We want to understand, God, what's your plan? Tell me your plan. Tell me in absolute detail, God. 
because I want to control my life and my environment. And God's not going to let us have either one. He's going to say, this is what I want you to do and you to be. And at the end of your life, I will grant you understanding. I will never grant you control. In the meantime, you need to be faithful to me in spite of the fact that you don't understand and you don't control anything. Remain faithful to me. Faithful to me. And if you are, then I will transfigure you. That's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Incredibly difficult. We keep yearning for answers and understanding so that we can have some measure of control. And God's not going to give it to us. And that lack and that faith, coupled with faith, is transfiguring us. But we're making progress. I'm making progress. I know since my sabbatical ended, whatever that was, eight months ago, nine months ago, I made a lot of progress, amazing amount of progress, more progress in the last eight or nine months that I made in the previous three years. And I made a lot of progress over the last 10 years, even more over the last 20, etc. And my guess is so have you. They were making progress, albeit very slow, like two steps forward, one back, and it's maybe more like ten steps forward, nine back. It might seem like oh, whatever we do seems to crumble out from underneath us all the time. But don't ever give up and trust God that He is indeed transfiguring us. Die on the beach. A priest friend of mine, we would hear each other's confessions, and then after confessions, we'd just kind of joke about how pathetic we are. And, uh, and we would say, you know, 200 years ago, priests didn't have confessions like this. I mean, uh, reading the lives of the saints, you could kind of get a sense of what there was. Sort of thing. And he would use this expression, he says, listen, our job is to die on the beach. We're the generation that's the first wave, we hit the beach and we die, all right? Someone's got to be the first wave that there was this gigantic collapse of the faith and morality. And so he and I were raised on TV, you know, on a school day, it was only six hours for me. On non-school days, it would be like 12. Totally destroyed my childhood. Totally destroyed. Not only wasted my time, melted my brain, but it also just kind of physiologically set me up for a lifetime of whatever of kind of brokenness and difficulty and focus and concentration and all those things. 200 years ago, nobody grew up with a TV or any screen for that matter. No pop music and there was no, you know, uh, 200 years ago in America, fornication was a felony. If you slept with someone and they weren't your spouse, you'd go to jail, even if neither of you were married. We've come a long way and now we, we kill our babies and we change our gender and we're mad. We're mad. So we're living in this time like Noah's time, where God flooded the world, or in the time of, of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, where God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, etc. We're living in this incredible time in which all around us is in the air we breathe, in the TV or in the screens that we look at all day long, in the music we listen to, in the schools we go to, and the workplaces, etc. It's all just this incredible godlessness. And it's so hard to remain faithful during this time. It's so hard to be transfigured during this time. So what does die on the beach mean? Well, if you think of World War II and these amphibious assaults, 
The first wave goes in and they take a really high number of casualties as the enemy is kind of waiting in the bushes or on the hills or whatever to shoot at the people who land on the beach. So the first wave takes the beach and they kind of clear out these machine gun nests and whatever. So high casualties. Waves two and three, they're the ones who get to raise the flag on the mountain. We've taken the island or we've taken whatever it is. The glory gets to go to those guys. But we're the generation that hits the beach now. And, and we're not the ones to raise the flag. And so here's the takeaway for us in the spiritual life, or me as a priest, is to recognize that some great generation is yet to come. The greatest Catholic generation of all time is yet to come. It, it wasn't in the 1200s when we think of the golden era of the church. It's yet to come. The greatest number of vocations, the greatest number of of saints, etc., is yet to come. We will be chastised to get there. We will. And you can sense it. The war in Ukraine, you just sense it. It's coming. This great unraveling of the world and all that will come from it. But it will lead to a much holier world than we've ever seen. In the meantime, as I am working on my transfiguration by the grace of God, not giving up on it, not understanding, and certainly not controlling anything, I have this great faith that God's going to transfigure me if I'm faithful. And if I'm faithful, he'll use me to transfigure you and your children and your children's children. And so here's this thing. In the spiritual journey with Christ, we have to be patient. Patience means long-suffering. And we have to persevere. Which means we don't throw the cross down on the ground because it's too heavy. We're patient in spite of not understanding, in spite of not being in control. We persevere in spite of not understanding and not controlling, but just having faith and doing the right thing, no matter the consequences and the cost. Something beautiful issues forth from it. I finish with this. I have read many books now on church history, and the history of the world in general, but church history. <clears throat> I've read a lot of different lives of the saints, too. And I can see sort of these different epics in the 2,000-year history of the church. I can see times in which the church is unholy and she's producing very few saints and times where she's very holy and producing a lot of saints and the world is being transformed. We're in a very dark time but a time that's going to lead to some great light. One of my favorite saints is Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich which I brought up many times. I'm reading through her biography for the second time and she, she was the most gifted person in the history of the world with relics. Whatever little bone of a saint, it could be a dog or any human being, it didn't matter. You leave it with her for 24 hours and she could tell you who that is and then all about their life. And she would see where these people are buried. She would see these underground, especially in Rome and in some other places, the catacombs built under the ground. She was aware of some vast network under Rome that still is unknown to people. She says it will become known. Something will happen to Rome and it will become known. There will be some earthquake or something and it will be exposed. 
But she sees in these places where the saints' bones are reposed, where they're buried light. Light shoots out like shafts of light through these underground labyrinths and alleyways. Sort of thing. And when somebody brings in a relic of a saint into her bedroom, the whole aura around that person lights up. She sees this incredible light. And she sees things to come. She would see the discovery in the future of where these saints are buried. That before the end of the world, the bodies of Moses and Joseph will both be discovered incorrupt. They're lying in the earth with no decay, and they will be found. Much, much greater things are coming. Much, much greater things are coming. Not only a transformation of me and my life and yours at the end of this life, but a transformation of the whole world to Christ. Before the second coming in Romans, Paul says, the whole world, Jew and Gentile, will enter into the church. The whole world will become Catholic before Jesus comes again, and he will come again. What is going to happen that would cause that to take place? Amazing things are coming. Amazing. But for right now, you and I, we're the generation that should simply secure the beach and die on that beach. Be that generation that bridges the gap between the Sodom and Gomorrah and the time of Noah that we live in now and the greatest generation to come. But we can only bridge that gap if you and I remain faithful. Despite the fact that we don't think that we're seeing progress in ourselves or we doubt that we have a will, we will if we remain faithful. And that, that transformation won't just be for me and you. It'll be for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. So be faithful. Be faithful. Know that whatever cross you're carrying to whatever Calvary you're carrying, it leads to a resurrection. It leads to an ascension. It leads to a glory. If by the grace of God, you and I remain faithful to this promise that Christ has made of transfiguring every one of his faithful sons and daughters.